welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. We're the comics podcast and geek culture show for people who not only watch movies like Wonder Woman, but actually have debates about them where we talk about things like race and gender and World War I history and explosions. So I'm really excited to have some guests joining us on the show today. I have two guests, and um, I uh, will be being joined by uh, Kedra Cheney, and she's the co-founder and publisher of The Learned Fangirl, a website that amplifies marginalized voices in media criticism and fandom scholarship. Um, did I say this is a Wonder Woman podcast? Because I, I, I hope I did. I'm not usually the main host on this. <laughs> Wonder Woman is the topic of our tonight's show. We'll be talking about the movie predominantly, but we'll talk about some comics as well. And uh, this will definitely be 100% full of spoilers. So go out and watch Wonder Woman and come back and talk to us after you've seen the movie. Um, so as I was saying, uh, Kedra is the publisher of Learned Fangirl. Um, Learned Fangirl. Kedra is currently a strategist for the Culture Labs Cultural Pulse Project, which connects organizers and progressive change makers with online pop culture communities. And she and I are actually organizing a Wonder Woman sheet, tweet chat for hashtag pop politics chat. That's going to be on June 21st. And also joining me is returning guest Desiree Rodriguez. She is a pop culture critic who has written for women write about comics, the nerds of color, and is the co-host of the DC TV classics podcast. And she's editorial assistant for Lion Forge's Catalyst Prime and Comics Initiative, which we discussed on the last episode of the podcast. So Kedra and Desiree, hello. Hi. Hi. Glad to be back. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, and then one thing I realized I should start doing is uh, so people know who's who when we're speaking. Desiree, say hello. It's Desiree. Oh, oh y'all will know my voice. I'm the squeaky one. <laughs> and Kedra, say hello. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kedra. Excellent. And I'm the one who sounds like me. Um, so... <laughs> You know, the Wonder Woman movie obviously is a huge commercial success, making tons of money for all those rich men who founded it. Um, and Wonder Woman has also been a big critical success. Uh, it has an incredibly high, what was it, like 98 or 99% positive score on Rotten Tomatoes. For me, I, I really did like the movie, but not unreservedly. Um, and I, I don't think we do movies or fandom service when we say we like it and we don't say why, and we don't discuss how it could be better or what could be different. So really wanted to talk today about, you know, with two folks who are also big geeks and uh, would have good critical analysis of the movie, uh, particularly where it has social impact um, and importance, not just as being DC Comics' first major female superhero-led movie, but just being um, a women in action film and a comics movie as well and how the movie handled issues like race and sexuality and war and lots of stuff. So I, you know, let's just begin by saying in general, like, did you enjoy the movie and did you think it was a good movie, which isn't necessarily the same thing for me, I did enjoy the movie and I thought it was a good movie, but like I said, I have some reservations. What about you guys? Um, well, I can start. This is Kedra. Um, I, I said earlier I gave it a solid 3.5 out of 5, and I actually said this on Twitter when I saw it on Friday night. I did enjoy it. I liked it. I, I thought it was a good movie. Um, but for me, because and I have a very 
complicated history with DC movies, I think, as a lot of us do. It's definitely the best DC uh, cinematic universe movie so far, um, and that's awesome. Um, but I did have some issues. Like, it did not change my life as a feminist. Um, I came away with some critiques. Uh, I saw it with um, my uh, a friend, my bandmate, and she's a big Wonder Woman fan, and and. We just spent a lot of time, like, during the movie talking about kind of the uh, sketchy portrayals of race and ethnicity. She's Middle Eastern. She did not like that character. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought the Apache Chief character, I think he's a – I don't know for sure. But I I thought, like, there were great moments with him, and then it it was, like, a double-edged sword in terms of portrayal of that character, I just felt like on a on a portrayal of race uh, lens, it was lacking, but no more lacking than most comic book movies. So I mm-hmm. like, it, I didn't think that it was any any worse when it came to that. Um, but I did enjoy it. I thought the action scenes were fantastic. Um, I thought Gal Gadot was good. Um, I'm super happy that Patty Jenkins gets an opportunity to continue this because I was thinking it's like the Russo brothers, like they had an opportunity to start with um, Captain America, but they got a, uh, an opportunity to kind of tell more stories, which is what a director should have with that. And so I'm glad that it's done well enough so that Patty Jenkins can continue to build on top of the world that she created. And so for that, it's a super win, but I did not come away like, my life has changed. Like, like I know people are crying and whatnot. It just, that was not that movie for me, but I'm glad it was for other people. I hear you, definitely, <laughs> on a lot of those fronts. What about you, Desiree? Um, yeah, you know, to, to second a lot of what, what Kendra said, like, I mean, I, I'm not a huge, huge fan of Wonder Woman. Um, you know, I work part-time in a comic shop, so everybody was like, you know, you must be so excited and, you know, for Wonder Woman, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I definitely am. Um, I did it. I did really enjoy the movie. I should, like, put a disclaimer and be like, I like the DC movies. Um, I know that's they're polarizing and, and justifiably polarizing, you know? Um, I, I, I don't believe that there's like a DC conspiracy or anything like that. Um, you know, but yeah, so I, I did enjoy the movie. I enjoyed the themes. I enjoyed some of the concepts. Um, I, I agree that it like, save for the fact that it's the first, you know, obviously it's breaking records and it's the first, you know, female superhero movie to have a female director and such. So it breaks ground in that, but yeah, like Keidra said, it doesn't, it, it didn't do as much as it could have done as far as like, you know, representation wise. Um, I enjoyed Samir. I enjoyed Chief. I enjoyed Charlie. I enjoyed the, the play on like, you know, the stereotypes, which was purposeful. Um, and then, you know, revealing little bits of how they subverted those, you know, in their little backstories. So some of those moments were great. I loved the, the Amazons. Like, I, I was a really happy bisexual, let me tell you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I wish we got more of them. And yeah. I would hope that since this is doing so well, you know, and since we do have like a sequel, um, you know, apparently planned and apparent, like, I mean, come on, WB would be pretty pretty silly to like not take advantage of their first critical success. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of room for improvement as far yeah. as like, especially where like the Amazons go. Cause 
as far as, you know, because we've had a lot of properties with white women at the center. Um, you know, there's, there's really ha- there's no shortage, really, of that right now, I don't feel. Yeah. And so what they – I like that Artemis was played by Ann Wolf, who is gorgeous, like yeah. such a crush. Um, she and was the Artemis one who was a huge character. Was strong. It's like a professional boxer yeah. for folks who don't know. She's amazing. Yes. Oh my. She has. She has like really pretty eyes. Like I noticed that like right away. Um. So, but like since she since Artemis is such a huge part of like the Wonder Woman lore and stuff, like if they cut out the mascara, it would be a huge missed opportunity. And especially like because they, you know, you did see these Amazons that were you know you like diverse in 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 the culture, but they didn't have big roles, you mm-hmm. know, and that was disappointing. So if if and when a sequel is made, one of the biggest improvements I think that they could definitely and should definitely make is improving on that front specifically. Because if Wonder Woman is supposed to be pushing the boundaries of, you know, feminist representation and such, she needs, her stories need to be driven in that direction to where women, women of color can also be included in those narratives and shown to be important and a part of her story. I agree. I mean, I thought Robin Wright's performance as Antiope was tremendous, but there was literally no reason to have all of the main Amazons be white women. Like, literally no excuse and no reason. Um, I'm glad that they gave Anne Wolf a, um, a named character rather than just having her be in the background. They hadn't released her name at first. And Artemis is, you know, a rival, but like in a good way of Wonder Woman in the comics, which means that she's a character that has a lot of personality and history to work with. And, you know, the actress they cast as Philippus um, is, you know, she's playing a Senator in the movie. And for comics fans, we know, at least for a number of decades at this point, that Philippus is basically uh, the queen of the Amazon's wife, right? Like Diana's mother's wife is Philippus. So it'd be really nice to have that made completely clear and, not something that people are going to have to go and debate whether or not it's in the movie or not. Um, and, you know, those are, those are two black characters who could have a much bigger role in a future movie uh, and really need to, frankly. And I, it was just so that, stupid to not give them more lines in the movie to start with. What I noticed about it was that a lot of women of color, I hear they were, they were, it was still to support the white characters. So it's like, okay, yeah. this is great. Like, this is where the, the you know, presentation, the, the discussion about representation, it's more than just being there and having some lines. Mm-hmm. It's whether your character actually has impact and is actually an independent you know, autonomous character that has their own story and their own reason for existing. Um, or I think, you know, I actually really like the first half of the movie, or the first 30% quarter of the movie that I did when it finally got into, like, World War One. I, I, I just, I don't know. For me, I just felt like it, for number, for Wonder Woman 2, it, it's got to be more than, than, lip service, like having women of color actually have some lines is not representation. It's yeah. Yes. It's tokenism. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there's got to be a look from that um, if it's going to mean anything. And I thought Robin Wright was great. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I, I still feel like there's a lot of improvement for actual actors of color, just in general. And now I, wanna, I don't want to pinpoint out Wonder Woman because I think it be in their uh, comic book movie that's out right now in terms of representation. It, it did no better and no worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just noticeable. I think because because of the the idea that you know a win a win for white women is a win for all women, <laughs> and and that kind of gets <laughs> that whole song and dance gets repeated when it comes to not just Wonder Woman but just in general pop culture. I think it's important to say no, actually, not quite um, because it's an opportunity there. You've got the characters, you've got the backstory. You know, you've got the opportunity to do something, and you know, and I think of it more like more like Thor. I'm a Marvel person, so Wonder Woman <laughs> like Thor for me, where you like like you've got this like mythological backstory that you can just go deep in. So like you have an opportunity to really do some fun stuff with that. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be you know centered around uh, uh, modern times and you know, Justice League and a whole bunch of white dudes like. It could be woman centered and be awesome. Um, and, you know, within yeah. the color. As, Absolutely. You know, in, in, so I, I, that's what I want. Whether it'll happen or not, I don't know. But I, like, there's the opportunity, and that's really great. Yeah. And speaking of the opportunity, I, one of the things that I think the movie did make big progress in, and I don't want us to lose this opportunity by not talking about it more, is in terms of representation of lesbian and bi and other just not straight women. Um, When I first found out that they were casting Chris Pine as Steve Trevor, I was really bummed out because I knew that they were only going to cast a major actor in that role if they were going to make a big deal about Steve Trevor. And I was like, you know, Wonder Woman needs Steve Trevor like a fish needs a bicycle, et cetera. And that was not, I didn't want a, a Wonder Woman movie to have this guy taking up all this airspace and narrative weight. And I was frankly worried that having a re- relationship with him would mean that they would characterize her as heterosexual. What ended up happening, though, is actually, you know, she does have a romantic interest with Steve Trevor. But in no way should we, as viewers, interpret her conduct or the Amazon society at large in the movie as being in any way heterosexual. Um, And it was funny to me because, uh, you know, I myself am bisexual and I was dreading having Wonder Woman kiss a man on screen because I thought that that would make um, any possibility of her being seen as queer, not be apparent in the story. And of course, here am I like a bisexual woman who's married to a man and I'm always complaining about how my, you know, my, my, my sexual orientation is rendered invisible in people's eyes. And, you know, I, the, the, I, I put together, I have a piece that I wrote, some comic speak, and you can get it on my Twitter, um, called uh, Thank Goddess Wonder Woman Isn't Straight Towards a More, Towards a Better DCEU. Um, and it's that, you know, between the scene that she has, um, talking about how men are not necessary for pleasure with, uh, with Steve Trevor on the boat and um, the very obvious like wife of Antiope who runs over to go mourn her when she's killed in battle. 
you know, it's clear that that Amazon society has romantic and sexual love. The only people there are women. Therefore, they're having it between women. Um, Wonder Woman having a kiss with a guy in this movie does not preclude her having had romantic or sexual relationships with women beforehand or after. Now, the movie, I really wish the movie had gone and made the fact that the women are in romantic relationships with each other on Themyscira be blindingly clear because we live in a society where unless somebody like seriously looks at the camera and shouts, I am a lesbian, like people will always question or doubt it or try to have other readings of it. Um, But I don't think that going and complaining about the movie making Diana straight is like actually legitimately uh, creating by invisibility. This is my reading of it. If you say that because Diana kissed a man, she's straight, you're basically saying that when women kiss men and you don't see them also kissing women, that they're also being read as straight. Um, If we want to have better representation in future movies, it's better for us to talk about how this movie actually gives us a perfect opportunity to have Diana be more clearly bisexual in future movies and for have the Amazon society be more demonstrably um, homoromantic in their relationships in future movies as well. So I also don't want to say that this movie was great LGBTQ representation because it's not. The fact that I have to explain this to people means that it's not great LGBTQ representation. But there have been so many Wonder Woman products and things in the past that have gone out of their way to make the Amazons not be queer, which is insane and impossible, that the fact that the movie actually leaves plenty of space for for them to be queer and, in fact, reading them as heterosexual is preposterous um, is definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, So I apologize for that long rant, but I think it's really significant. And I think that if you are a DC, if you are a comics fan, or a movie fan like myself, and you want to see more LGBTQ representation in our movies, we should talk about the movie and what it does and doesn't do for LGBT representation, but don't call Diana straight. That's actually a problem. And I know Desiree, you're by also, so I don't know if you agree with me, <laughs> but I'd love to hear what you think. <laughs> I agree. Like, honestly, Steve Trevor is either boring or he's annoying like when I when I heard about Steve Trevor being in the movie um, and I'm sorry to all Steve Trevor fans out there like from the comics or from the animated movie but I did not like him in the animated movie I thought he was obnoxious he was annoying he was a frat boy like I just I didn't like him just no um you know and in the comics before like the recent rebirth run like I just didn't care like, I, you know, Diana had more interesting relationships with plenty of other people, men and women. You know, one of my favorite episodes of the Justice League cartoon is one where, uh, I, can't remember the, I can't remember the name of it right now, but where she meets up with that princess, and they have, like, a night on the town, and I was like, yeah, no, she's bisexual. Come on now. And I'm, like, 14 <laughs> or something thinking this. Um, you know, and so, yeah, when I when I saw the movie, like, I was concerned, and I do agree that, like, they need to make it more explicit because there, there are always going to be people that argue that, you know, oh, it's just subtext or, oh, you're reading into it too deeply or not everything has to be gay, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh. It's just really obnoxious. Um, you know, and it's like, okay, well, let me point to you the whole library of straight rom-coms and then come back and talk to me about how, you know, these tiny little scraps that I want to be, you know, not straight. It's so troubling you. 
Um, I'm feeling snarky tonight. Uh, uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I do think that they just they need to make it a little more explicit. But, I, like, I liked what Brad Rutter recently did in the Rebirth run by just acknowledging, you know, subtly that these women have relationships with each other, you know. And for them, it's just, just a normal part of their lives. You know, there's no questioning it. There's no you know, debate about it. Um, it's just the way they live. Like, you know, Hippolyta and Philippus, you know, they have just these forehead touches that are very charged. And, you know, you know that these women are together. Like, the two of them have a relationship. And you have to be, like, really obtuse and purposely so to be ignoring that. Um, mm-hmm. Or the part where Steve asks her, which is issue number, I should have wrote it down. Um, but he asked her explicitly, you know, did you leave someone behind in the mascara? And she said yes, and she says a woman's name. And, you know, like that right there, you know, shows showcases it perfectly. You know, so mm-hmm. I think something like that in a, in a follow-up movie, whether it's her own or in Justice League or whatever, like, you know, something simple like that, and you can establish it right off the bat. And I know Gal Gadot is in favor of it. Uh-huh. And so that's nice. Um, and I think it's just, it's about time, you know, for a comic book movie to, to do that. Like, DC actually has a lot of opportunity right now for a, quite a few of their characters, because Diana is explicitly by in the comics, Catwoman is, Harley Quinn is, Constantine is, and apparently all those characters are going to be in or already are in movies. So they have a lot of opportunity here that they should be taking. Um, and with Diana being their biggest character, like you want to push the envelope, you want to, you want to do something new, like, you know, make it explicit, like, uh-huh. like take that chance. And I would hope that Patty would or wants to, I mean, she did to my knowledge, write the foreword um, to the love is love anthology that DC and IDW put out. So I'd hope that like that awareness is there. And that hopefully that speaks to her wanting to pursue that down the line for Wonder Woman's, you know, future stories, you know, if she's still attached to them in the future. So across my fingers, um, you know, it's, I think it's there in this movie, but it's just, it's, it's too subtle, you know, and like, let's, let's just be honest with it. You know, like, come on, this is Greek mythology here. Like, please. Yeah. I thought that Patty Jenkins was already signed off for Wonder Woman 2. I could be wrong. I saw that on my timeline this morning, but thought it was from an actual reliable source, but now I'm I'm second-guessing it because who knows these days. But I thought she was already signed up for sure for Wonder Woman 2, so that would give her I'm, an opportunity to, like, to move Yeah, I'm pretty this. sure she is. I, I'm pretty sure I saw that yeah. or something similar to what you saw, like, but, you know, yeah. Hollywood, who knows? <laughs> like, yeah, I feel yeah. like WB would yeah, be, would be really again. dumb to, like, to be like, yeah. yeah, no, let's not, you know, let's not give her anything she wants. And, you know, next time she right. does a movie, hopefully they give her a bigger budget to work with, too. Because yeah. they uh-huh. really stretch their thin with this one. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to say really quickly, though, I'm really, I was so weirdly impressed and happy that they killed off Steve Trevor. I was like, oh, yeah. shit. <laughs> like, I'm I not going to do that. And I'm like, I did end up like, it was a great death. Too. I mean, like, you know, even if you like love the character, I feel like it did him justice. He really actually saved mm-hmm. the day, did something tremendously brave. And I, I mean, I just think back about 
this is sort of my interpretation of this. The scene that he has with Wonder Woman in the uh, underwater cave on the mascara, and she's talking with him about his watch. And it's all, you know, you let that watch tell you what to do in terms of the time of day. And it's also like a metaphor for his, his dick because he's looking, they're both like looking <laughs> at the watch yeah. and he's covering his dick. And I, I which, by the way, I thought that scene was played wonderfully. Um, the fact that like actually pulled out was a choice that most movies would not have even made. Um, but um, the fact that he, so he hands over his father's watch, right? So this is his dad's watch. It's a symbol of masculinity. It's handed down to generations when he's about to sacrifice his life to save the save like countless lives. He hands Wonder Woman the watch. Um, you know, we don't hear what they're saying to each other, but later it flashes back and he says that he loves her and his whole delivery of it is completely believable and real. Like I, as much as I, I don't, I didn't want Steve Trevor to be in the movie and I, if he was going to be there, like, why is it another white man? But like, if it was going to yeah. be that, like, I think he did a good job. Um, really souls, like he believes in her and her strengths um, and the things that he likes and supports about her are, are not at all being cutesified or fetishized, which would have been the case with a lot of other roles. And he gives her the watch. So he's handing over his masculinity, like to her to like move forward and yeah. lead with. Yeah, I walked away from that film, like, totally shipping them. I was like, wow, they got me. Okay. <laughs> like, and I, I really attribute that to Chris Pine, because like, I, don't, I don't really watch any of his movies. Like, you know, I, everybody's like, oh, Princess Diaries 2. And I'm like, I, I always forget he was in that, because he has, like, dark brown hair. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, that's right with Chris Pine. <laughs> I saw that movie, and then, like, years later, I was like, that's Chris Pine. So, yeah, yeah. like, you know, and and, and it's not even his fault, no but I totally did not, like, <laughs> it's, and it's, it's not his fault, but, like, I totally didn't like uh, Captain Kirk in the first two, like, Star Trek movies, the, the recent ones. Like, I only liked him oh, yeah. in, uh, like, Star Trek Beyond, because in the first two, he was just kind of, like, a frat boy. But um, yeah. I hated Chris like, Pine I, for years because of the first two Star Trek movies. Like I actually <laughs> had a grudge against him for years because of those movies, and only recently have I gotten over that and looked at him for what he is as an actor, as opposed to you ruined Star Trek for me. So I guess <laughs> no, I, I totally, I totally blame Abrams for that. Um, and all those well, weird. <laughs> um. So, yeah, like, when he was cast, I was like, eh, you know, but then he had chemistry with Gal, and then, like, the way their relationship was written and developed, you know, he never felt patronizing, he never, like, purposely objectified her, like, everybody knew she was beautiful, but, like, it wasn't to her determinant, you know, like, he never, Mm -hmm. like, he treated her like an equal, and, you know, it's a great point about the watch and such, and, like, their, their relationship was so, like, soft and subtle, like, you know, like the snow scene and them dancing and then that whole room scene and we're like, you know, they, they totally did it. Um, you know, but it was played so nicely and he brought like such a great like softness to the character, you know, so he didn't come off like this macho man where he like, he had to teach Diana about like the world and stuff. And like, you know, he had a teacher yeah. like, you know, oh, well, well, like reverse sexism and things like that, Diana. And like, no, screw that. Like he was like, no, she's, yeah, she's going to go ahead and she's going to fight some bad guys and we're going to follow and then I'm going to, like, take a point off the Amazons and do the shield thing. Like, yeah, let's do this. Like, I'm going to support her. (laughs) But I honestly think that, to me, is when you see the benefit of having 
a woman storyteller because I do think that in another movie it easily would have been the perspective would have been diverted from Diana to Steve once he gets mm-hmm. into the picture. It would start as her movie and it would end as his. And that didn't happen. And yeah. I think that's, you know, I think that is in large part to a woman helming the movie and, and keeping the focus on it being Diana's story. But I think about if this movie had been made in like the 80s or something. <laughs> like as soon as Steve Trevor comes into the picture, it's his movie. Um, and it's his perspective and it's his lens on Diana and all of it. And that didn't happen. Um, and so, like, to me, that was where I saw, well, this is what happens when a woman homes a, a, a comic book or an action movie. Like, here, focused on a woman. Um, yeah. Because I honestly, you know, I could think of so many other movies where that would, you know, even movies where, where women are at the home. At, at the end of the day, it's still from the lens negate of a man and that didn't happen with Steve. He never there there was never a point where he diverted attention away from it being her story. Um he was always there to kind of be a supporting character to what her story was. And that impressed me. Um and he's dead. So now <laughs> I know I sound horrible. But but then at the point that there was here where they were like, let's just kill him I was like, Yeah, let's just kill him and my was like, no <laughs> it was like 20 minutes into the movie. I was like, let's kill him. He's like, no. Oh, man. That's so <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I will say, actually, like, one of the other cool Chris Pratt moments, especially since anything else, is um, Chris Pine, sorry. Who the fuck knows? Um, it's, uh, <laughs> in, the, in, in, the, in the gala, in the non Sorry, in the German gala. Wow, I know my history of this people. I assure you. Um, he tries to seduce Dr. Poison, a.k.a. Uh, Maru, who is, by the way, a character the original Wonder Woman in comics. Um, I did to the Lasso of Truth podcast, which is an amazing Wonder Woman podcast. Everyone should go listen to it. But um, yeah, from the comics is just that amazing in the comics. In the movie, he goes and he does a honeypot on her. And what's interesting, of course, is that is a spy. Like, Steeper is not there to, like, be the strongest guy on the screen. He's there to infiltrate and be sneaky and emotionally manipulative. He's Black Widow. Um, and we haven't really seen that alleged inversion of gender roles in a movie like this before. And not only was it good to see him trying to seduce a woman for intelligence reasons, but he's also very good at it. So it was nice to see him be competent. Um, and I appreciated that scene with Dr. Poison because it just really shows you how much of a mess she is. Um, you know, she's somebody who is emotionally damaged and who's definitely physically scarred probably from her own work, but who she's been an outsider for like, she's an outsider. She's always been an outsider and him, their whole conversation about talking about flames. It's just like, he knows she's a sociopath and he's really playing this. It's funny, actually, one of my friends who's not really a comics person, the only thing she talked about when she left the movie theater was, oh, my God, Dr. Poison. Oh, my God. <laughs> I do have an issue with Dr. Poison, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter a couple of days ago. I don't you tell the trope of disfigurement as evil is like hardcore ableism and is a trope that is often used, especially like in, in Diana, like, 
was fighting with a full face of makeup. Very natural looking, <laughs> but like her yeah. her beauty was made a centerpiece and by you know in to invert that, Doctor Poison's disfigurement was made to highlight her evil and mm-hmm. that's a trope that's often used to perpetuate ideas of, of being disfigured or disabled as as if not the reason that you're evil, a way to kind of identify you as evil. And that bothered me. And I, I actually learned that a, a couple of days ago that she's actually a, a character, a canonical character within the Wonder Woman universe. And so I don't know how or if that was a, a part of it, but it's those it's those little things, and especially when it comes uh-huh. to ableism, like casual ableism is so hardcore that it, it's done and people don't even realize that that's what's going on. But the idea that her disfigurement was used as kind of a symbol of her evil or a way to identify her as evil bothered me um, because it, it, especially in contrast to, to how beautifully lit and how like the focus on Diana's beauty in the way that she was framed as opposed to Dr. Poison, like that to me stood out. And I thought I was like, overreacting. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> because I thought I was just, I was overreacting. But if another disabled person noticed that, then that means it's probably there. Yeah. So something to think about. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm hearing a high pitched noise. Is anybody else hearing a random high pitched noise? No. 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 Okay. Excellent. Moving right along. And thank you for raising that. That's a very legitimate um, observation. Um, what? Uh, one of the other sort of weird remainder um, Scott Snydery things that I really spotted was, you know, and this is not. It's funny because when you first hear Wonder Woman's mother saying, the, you know, the men don't deserve you, the world of men don't deserve you, it feels really feminist. And I think we all had members of our family probably tell us that, like, men don't deserve us. And we've been told this to female friends as well because the men, they're terrible. But, um, you know, the, the, the screenplay is written by Heidelberg, but the story has Scott Snyder as one of the co-writers. And I, somebody else had pointed out, and I think it's an interesting read of it, that there's a bit of an Ayn Rand line on um, being so good that the world doesn't deserve you to have saved it, which I think is particularly weird because we know at the end of this movie, and this is a huge concern I had about the movie being set in World War One, after she doesn't stop the Holocaust, right? She goes and like, and, and, and I haven't seen the other DC superhero movies because I heard they were bad. Sorry. Um, but, um, you know, we know she's not, like, a known quantity Batman and Batman already knew about, really, and, like, the public knew about. So she's been in hiding in some way since World War I. So does what? Does Wonder Woman, because of the horrors of World War I, does she decide that she's – that the world doesn't deserve her and, like, walk away and then not get involved in preventing the Holocaust? Like, what? what is this – what is that? Like, it, it's it's – a I basically have to watch a movie pretending that Diana was frozen in a block of ice after World War One, and like was unfrozen during the seventies to like join the women's rights movement. Like I can't 
I can't appreciate the movie otherwise. I need to suspend my disbelief about that. Um, and it's a sort of weird Randian n- analysis. I felt really, you know. I don't know. Um, I would imagine it would be that there's only a, so much that she could do alone. But you know, she's supposed to be. Maybe she was leader, fighting, though. but. Yeah, yeah, but she's like a leader. I mean, if, I, you know, that, that amazing scene on the trenches where everybody says, you know, this has been in the trench line. This barrier hasn't moved for four years. I mean, and guys, like, this is real. To folks who don't know, World War One, which was literally hell, like, people would literally be in a trench and not go anywhere for four years. Like, it was crazy. Um, she goes and does the impossible thing. She breaks through the lines, and she leads by getting in, out in front. And I... I just imagine that the world would know, even if it doesn't personally shoot Hitler or whatever, but like the world would know because she would be such an inspiration and such a leader for people. Uh, I mean, the way, you know, you kind of have to like headcanon and stuff because the movies only tell you so much. And, you know, unfortunately, like they don't, they don't fill in all these little bits and pieces. Um, I mean, I think they do imp- they sort of kind of toe around the issue of World War II because Aerie says the whole thing about how he sets up this peace agreement to lead to something worse, which everybody knows is World War II. Right. Um, and I like to think that Diana doesn't put on, you know, her Wonder Woman garb anymore because she knows she can't save the world um, because war is just always going to exist, but she still was involved in all these movements just behind the scenes. Like, I could see her, like, you know saving people but as like a like almost a shadowy figure just because she didn't want to like be a part of a larger thing anymore I don't I don't know like it's you kind of have to finagle it a little bit because you know there's there is that history and she did walk away but I can't see her being completely uninvolved just not recognizably involved because obviously like somebody's going to be like who's this woman um she doesn't age like, I, I don't even, I'm, she'd have to falsify her records, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even know how she got a job at the Louvre, like. Yeah. Does she have a social oh, security number? I was, like, oh, my God, I literally thought that. I was like, so somebody had to get her a fake social security number and a whole, like, right? I, I was getting, I, I was getting I mean, so my, into it. My friend was like, yeah, like, my headcanon is that, like, she went back to Etta, and Etta Candy was just like, yeah, girl, I can totally whip you up fake papers, you know? <laughs> Eventually, like, she can't, she can't stay there because people are going to be like, yo, Diana, you've been working here for, like, 50 years, man. Like, eventually she has to move on. <laughs> Yeah, Etta Candy, I, I'm just heartbroken that we we're not going to really get her again. Um, I think the actress is great. I didn't always mm-hmm. love what they did with her. Uh, I enjoyed her brandishing a sword and would have liked her to be a little bit less specifically a subject of humor. But um, I have lots of feelings about Etta Candy in general, though. That would take me on a long digression at this point. But. <laughs> She definitely helps stop some spies using a sword and shield standing in an alley. Um, yeah. She wasn't just a sad sap. I appreciated that. Yes. Yeah. Is so important. Yeah. What What confuses me and, and what I want to say worries, but you know, um, is that they pretty much threw in like her two most notable supporting characters in this film, which makes me like wor- like wonder who they're gonna you know put in for her next film. You know, because. 
I don't, I don't want Batman in her film. <laughs> like he played perfect yeah. here where he was just a name, you know, like I don't, yeah. I like connections. I like world building. Um, it's one of my problems with the MCU actually is that their world building isn't that great when I think too deeply on it. Um, you know, like, why is Tony Stark here? I don't know. He doesn't need to be here. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, <laughs> Steve Trevor and I, I'm just saying, um, why is Iron Man on the Spider-Man Homecoming poster like twice? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it does like, I'm like, you know, who, who are they going to put in for her supporting characters? Cause she still has like a whole rogues gallery that they can go through. I don't think the Greek gods is dead. I think the lion. Um, yeah, I hope not. You know, so there's still, there's still villains, but I'm like, you know, who's going to, who are you going to put in for her like supporting now? Like since Etta is definitely gone, it's been a hundred years and Steve is, you know, he, he blew up, like <laughs> he gone too. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm both interested and just a little bit concerned. Cause yeah, I would have loved to see Etta in more, you know, but I don't know, maybe, maybe reincarnation will be a thing and we'll get like, We'll get, like, one of Etta's descendants, and she'll be, like, I don't know. I, I'm not good with names, but, you know, something like that. <laughs> It'll be, like, in Earth One. She'll be a bisexual sorority girl. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Etta can be third, and um, she'll have a massive crush on Wonder Woman, and they'll be adorable together. That's what I need now. I realize this. <laughs> Make it happen. Um. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that, you know, I would, with, they, they have her, you know, it's like she's the only woman. She goes from being one of everyone is a woman back on Paradise Island to then as soon as she's no longer in England being like the only woman for quite, quite a big stretch of time, which is always hard. I mean, and the makeup of that crew is, of the crack team. I have, I have rarely seen more split opinions between people whose judgment I trust than people's takes on chief and, and, um, Charlie and, and, um, like that, the crack team. I, you know, I've seen yeah. indigenous, uh, writers talk about how Charlie, how chief is great and like his clothes are actually historically accurate and like the, the, the actor is like from the people that he says he's from. He like talks about it. And that the fact that they actually acknowledge like that Steve Trevor's people are the reason his people are fucked up. Right. Um, was cool. Apparently, but then I also heard the actor said, yeah. yeah, apparently the actor who played Chief like actually had a, a bit of input into the script from what I read. Mm-hmm. So that was something like I had read an interview with him and he said that. Like, he kind of talked about, like, as he was on set, had input into the script. So I think a lot of that was him. I bet um, it. So I'm positive, cool. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And then, I mean, with Charlie, like, somebody was complaining, like, oh, Charlie never gets to shoot the gun. And I was like, no, Charlie's not there to shoot the gun. Charlie is there to sing. I thought one of the most beautiful things with, like, with Steve and, and, and Diana were, them like valuing ultimately valuing Charlie like not because he's the best crack shot which we never actually get to see him do but because he sings and he's obviously someone with um PTSD I mean probably yeah. shell shock um and yeah. people still see him as a person of value and still want him with them and that was incredibly touching actually for me at least 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they have looking at all the victims of the trenches and like, you know, the, it, it's, I, I, I'm curious, like, wow. I, I, I actually really want someone to write about this movie from a disability perspective, like on from that scene and so many other pieces. I think it's a voice I'd like to hear. Yeah. I thought Charlie, I actually thought that was really well done in, in terms of how they portrayed how he was clearly dealing with PTSD, but was still a part of the team. I actually was, I, that actually choked me up a little bit. Um, I, I, I didn't even notice a good. bit about him not shooting the gun. Like that's, that's actually, that makes him, that makes that better to me actually. Cause yeah, he, he doesn't. Yeah. And you know, he, he's still valued. And I actually, I love the moment where, you know, he says like, you know, I can't shoot. Maybe I shouldn't be here. And Diana tells him like, you know, but who would sing for us? Yeah. Like that was yeah. such a great, that was such a great team mm-hmm. moment. Like, you know, and it showed that she, she valued things other than, you know, being a warrior or being able to, to fight and such. Like she valued him as, as, a, a, as a person and as a friend. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really touching for for real. Like for, I think one of the most touching moments of the movie. Um, I mean, World War One is just so horrific in such specific ways. I, I, I was interested. I like that they chose World War One as a setting because it's such a war in which the specifics of the map of how things came to be are so complex that Ares, as an explanation, like addresses the fact that so many people in the audience probably don't. The, the history that made the creative situation that they were in there. Um, but, you know, I really was mostly just concerned about what the hell does this mean about World War II. But one of the things that was just kind of a little bit mind-blowing was, like, a major character is the actual General Ludendorff. I don't think I've seen a superhero <laughs> movie do that before. Um, I, I don't think, like, ev- all of the historical figures in the first Avenger were basically parallels. Like, it's, it's you know, Howard Stark, not Howard Hughes which is a good thing because that man is freaking racist. Right. Um, and in, 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 and in Wonder Woman, it's the actual General Ludendorff. And I, I, I checked, I asked my husband, I was like, did he, did he get die by getting stabbed in the chest by a sword on the roof? And the answer was no, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am just a little bit, in, I, I mean, it's a little bit intrigued by that particular choice. And I guess in part because nobody knows anybody who was alive then at all at this point. So um and I don't know, though. I would say that even though I'm, I, I find that wildly entertaining, I, that, the whole final fight scene was not, not that great of a fight scene um, in spite of the great performance being put on. Like, it was just a little bit too CGI and repetitive for me. When we first get the reveal of who Ares actually is in that um, – in, not in the rooftop, in the um, – it's, it's not a bird's nest, but, like, at the top bar – of the base, I found it to be completely chilling. I love that we only saw him in reflection and how understated he is because he's just, you know, a member. He's just a peer of of, of the of the House of Lords. He's not like this huge ripped diesel guy. I loved that choice. I thought it was initially presented really, really disturbingly in ways that worked. Like just it, he's you only see his reflection. Like he cuts back and forth between being through a glass you're reflecting into the glass or through a glass so it's sort of like he's a mirror image of us he's a reflection of us um and he's just right out of her grasp i thought that was really good cinematography in that sequence 
But then once the fight actually happened, the fight was dull as dull. Nothing could really yeah. beat the No Man's Land sequence. Yeah. That oh, God, that was really beautiful. the only reason to be in the movie. Like, I was like, okay, we can leave now. So I, I don't know if any, <laughs> if any action sequence in the movie could actually beat that. So Actually, true. And you know what I just found out? Is that the dudes wanted to didn't want her to shoot the No Man's Land sequence. That was Petty Jenkins. What? what? For real. For LA real? Times. Mm-hmm. No. The LA Times story. Well, that- she talks about how the guys didn't understand. Well, she didn't say the guys, but she was like, the other folks didn't understand why <laughs> she wanted to do the No Man's Land scene as such a big set piece. And I mean, and the cinematography of like Wonder Woman with the shield and the bullets bouncing off of it is going to be a gift that everybody will be posting right. from here on out of themselves right. standing up to sexism. Like that <laughs> is going to be right. everybody's gift. But yeah, dudes didn't yeah, want that's... it. Wow. Wow. Because that was like one of the most iconic bits of the entire film. I mean, that's, yeah. like, right, that's me. like that's the movie. <laughs> like, 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 honestly, like, like if the that. movie, if the movie had like had like done that scene and then like ended after like you know Steve and her got in the room and then you know war's over or whatever, I would have been happy. Like, <laughs> I would have been oh, like, wow. all right, cool, pack it up, let's go home, let's play the fire song. Like, <laughs> Because, yeah, yeah, like, I, I I, didn't like Aerie's armor. Like, I'm a snob that way, I guess. Like, I, I just didn't like the armor. And I, I liked the reveal. Like, I thought mm-hmm. the reveal was, was well done. But, like, yeah, this the fight scene was... The only thing that invested me in the fight scene was what was happening around it. Like, Diana's emotions, you know, Steve leaving. Like, seeing, you know, their crew, like, you know, huddled together, like, preparing for death. And so, like, that stuff was way more interesting than watching, like, lightning and fire yeah like agreed i mean i mean yeah. it was cool that you know like we saw gal's baby you know because yeah. she was like five months pregnant apparently when they filmed that bit so but yeah it just there was too much cgi you know it just it wasn't it it, it was meh like there was so much else going on in the movie that was done so much better um do you think that was a budgetary you know, so, thing do you think that that, that might have been like okay we've run out of budget so let's just do a heavily cgi Fighting at the end and call it a day. I think so. Because I know this movie was like, what? Uh, this movie had the smallest budget of like any DCEU movie. So, like, I'm sure for Wonder Woman 2, Warner Brothers is just going to be like, you know, like that gif from Wolf of Wall Street where he's just throwing the money off the boat. And it's just going to be like, on, it's just going to be on Patty Jenkins. I hope so. She should direct all of their movies. <laughs> I think that, I mean they want to be successful, right? So, so that well, I'm just I'm just saying, like, come on, um, yeah. So yeah, that the the fight scene was was met. I love the scene before it, like when you know Diana thinks she killed Ares, and then like nothing stops, and she's all yeah. upset, and Steve just breaks down and he's like, I wish I could tell you it's just one bad guy. Cause I thought that was so encompassing of like you were saying earlier, you know, world war one, which is this big mess, you know, it was terrible and it was horrific. And, you know, all these new weapons were being introduced and people were just dying left and right for like essentially no reason. And there wasn't any one specific person that you could blame. Like it wasn't just anybody, you know, like there wasn't any easy yeah. bad guy. Uh-huh. And right. 
So I thought like that was great. I love how he's like, you know, I'm I'm building too. Like I'm a part of it because I'm a part of the system, you know. And it, it yeah. called back yeah. to like when Chief had mentioned, you know, when Diana asked, like, you know, who who took your freedom? Who who just who killed your people? And he's like, his people, you know, because mm-hmm. it's true. Like Steve's a part of that system. And it was one of the things I liked about Steve. He acknowledged, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm to blame too. I'm a part of the system, you know, and Diana could save the world because she's not a part of that system. So, yeah, so, like, all that stuff was cool, and then we got lightning, and I was like, yeah, the lightning's whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, I one thing also just is, like, I, I you know, Aries is always, like, a, a good Diana villain, but, you know, I just – there was, where were all the female goddesses? Um, even if they were dead or removed in some way. I mean, that could be part of the characters that we see in a future Wonder Woman movie, perhaps. But, um, yeah. but I, 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 like, why was she made by Zeus? Like, where were all the goddesses? Um, I will say that the movie's use of the lasso of truth was really excellent. Uh, I really liked how people would like lasso themselves or I guess Steve really would lasso himself to be like, no, I am not lying. Um, and we know the lasso is from Hestia. So Hestia existed. Um, but there was really no reason to have them all be made by Zeus. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't like the Zeus bit. Like, you know, I'd rather it be like, you know, all the gods had a hand and one of their main patrons was at like Aphrodite. I liked the small reference to Aphrodite, you know, all the Amazons coming from the sea. But yeah. I just, I was like, really? Zeus is like, he he made an island full of like Amazon warrior women? Like Zeus, the guy who turned into a right. swan to get some? <laughs> like that guy? I am banded so. by Zeus because Zeus is an easy pop culture trope. Like, if you don't know anything about mythology, like, you know about Zeus, kind of, like, he's a, he's the go-to. Right. I don't know. know. Um, But people are like, oh, yeah, Zeus. Yeah. It felt weirdly more Christian to me than Greek, you know, like, Mm, he creates mankind and then right. his his son, you know, Ares doesn't like mankind and he corrupts mankind and even that scene Lucifer, with uh, right. Diana and him surrounded by the trees gave me like Garden of Eden vibes and he's like, We can rebuild the world and I was like, This is really creepy. Um, you know, and like yeah. Diana kinda ends up being like the savior figure as it were, because it yeah. didn't it seemed like Zeus just kinda gave Hippolyta to the baby. I don't think they had a relationship, but Yes. You know, he was like, you need to carry this child because she's going to, you know, save, you know, save the world or be like, you know, the God killer or whatever. So, yeah, I, it was, it probably was easier, but you know, I love it. I did love the way a, they depicted those scenes because it was like, it was like old Greek Renaissance paintings. And I thought that was like really well done. Um, but yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't in love with that. Yeah. I, um. I definitely think you're right about the Christian connotations and I hadn't pieced it together, but it's definitely true. Speaking of as a young girl, though, the actress who played her as a young girl, I thought was fabulous. Um, and the, the momentum in that scene uh, of her running through the town was so strong. Um, and one thing I actually, like, I only really made a big to do about because some of the public dialogue has been so stupid 
is I was very glad that the actress who they cast as Diana was fair-skinned because Gal Gadot is white. I don't know why. I'm like, let me tell you, I'm Jewish. I know these things. Gal Gadot is white. She has a name that sounds Middle Eastern because people started using names like that when Jewish people moved like, to Israel. I don't even know why, why it's a, a debate that people are having. Because they wanted it's, an excuse a, to say she's a woman of color. They wanted to be like, so it's diversity. Why is this happening? That article came from like comicbook.com, right? Yeah, comicbook.com. That, that place is terrible. It was, it was, it was, it was like, like, one place did it and people ran with it. And I don't understand why people ran with it. Yeah, I, I think because they want they want the cookies, you know. Exactly. And it's yeah, like, no, you don't, you don't, you don't get those cookies. They're not, I'm not giving you that. Yeah. Like, Thank I'm hoarding those until yeah. you until you give me something legit here. Like, like when yeah. Batgirl is Latina, like people have been fan casting that one girl from the 100. I'll hand you a cookie, but until then, they're mine. Yeah. And like, just to be clear, like there's plenty of Jewish people of color in Israel and elsewhere, but she is not one of them. Mm-hmm. She's tan yeah. because she spends a lot of time outside. Her small child self is very pale. Thank you. There you go. These are facts. So, <laughs> bringing Jewish history to the people. Um, <laughs> so, uh, one, you know, I have had uh, various people sort of say that um, they thought that the movie you know, was was really one of the main superhero movies that has really centered itself on acts of heroism um, as a motivation itself. Like Diana wants to do good in the world and that is her motivation. Um, and I, of course, I'm very glad to have a female character who's not motivated by like revenge after having been violated by a man. But um, do you think that like toxic masculinity and like Scott Snyder perhaps having like internalize some of that might be why this movie's tone was so different. And I feel weird saying this because I know Desiree likes those movies, but like, <laughs> do you think the fact that she's a woman and she doesn't have to be grimdark? Like, I mean, there, there, there could be a gendered interpretation for why this movie went in a different way with tone and with the hero's attitude towards her- towards heroism than the others. So maybe that's just crazy, but I thought that was. Yeah, I, 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 this is I guess it's the limitations of of an audio podcast because I'm, I'm a face that I'm I'm thinking about it, but I don't. Have an <laughs> yeah. Um. Because I'm definitely of the like Scott Snyder as an Iron Rand fan. Like he'll he'll tell you this. Right. It's public knowledge. Um, you can see like that in the stories. I mean, I read. I enjoy Steve Ditko, and Steve Ditko is an Ayn Rand fan too. Like being an Ayn Rand fan does not mean I will not enjoy your art, but it definitely impacts what your art says. <laughs> um, and I was, I definitely was curious if anybody else kind of smelled that around the edges of there, but that's okay. It can be just me. I, I've oh. never read Ayn Rand, or I, like so. I know there's there's a lot of like debate around her or I but I'm not I've never read it so I'm like I'm not educated enough to really comment on it um yeah so no like yeah like I feel bad like I'm like 
I feel so uneducated. I've never read Atlas Shrugged. I haven't read her either. Oh, I haven't read it either. You don't have to read it. You just have to be aware. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. It's just it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like, but it's, yeah. don't worry about it. It was just a thought. But you I know what has been really Yeah, but like, having read Ayn Rand, it's like, it's not good stuff, first of all. She's one of the yeah. best writers in the world. Honestly, I wonder if it has more to do with the idea of femininity and nurturing and protection and all of that as opposed to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that when it was motivated by the idea of being protected. You know, I was worried. I'm oh, sorry. Made, but it, it doesn't break, necessarily break up a bit. Come off as, oh. Hello? Uh, Yes. I was wondering if it would be that, um, mm-hmm. the idea that, that Wonder Woman as a woman would be more motivated to protect and, and murder as it would be being driven by revenge or, or you know, trying to, to defend somebody already been hurt or a loss. Um, I don't know. Again, pulling that out of thin air as well. But you know, I, I you know, I was worried, like if you had told me that Wonder Woman says, Oh, how cute to a baby in this movie, I would have been really, really ready to recoil and be angry. But like the movie doesn't make her be like, Oh, all women want to be mothers. It was more just like I've never seen a baby yeah. before. That's really cute. Here's ice cream. Wow. <laughs> I, you know, I think that like it definitely could have gone much more in the direction of like you know, essentialism about how what, how women want to take care of others, how women are, are mothers and caregivers. And the movie really did not delve into that at all. And again, the script mm-hmm. is written by a dude. Like, that is a fact. The screenplay is written by a dude. But um, Teddy Jenkins, as directing that scene of her running into a little baby in the street, didn't make it be, like, about, oh, here's my secret motherly urges. I always wanted to be a mom, just right. like we made Black Widow say. Sorry, I have feelings about that. Um, but I also <laughs> I read something earlier that said that the that this had this the script had a lot of script doctors, and mm. so even though it was written by what you know it was written by a dude, that the script doctors played a huge role in kind of smoothing out some of these things, and maybe that may you know, and I script doctors you know are often women, are often marginalized people who don't get credit. So that could be a thing as well, is that if you had a lot of different people coming in and kind of smoothing out the edges and, and kind of adding these nuances to the script, that mm-hmm. even though there's one guy getting the credit for it, there's a whole bunch of other people that really kind of made these little moments what they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way credits are litigated, it's can be hard to really know much more than that. Um, but yeah, Patty Jenkins definitely, you know, has such a, a huge role in the movie's biggest moment and in everything else throughout it, for real. Um, one of the cool things coming out of the movie, though, has been seeing how many women are talking about how much it resonated for them, like all, a lot of women talking about how they cried in the theater, etc. I was uh, intrigued by um, Sharon's, uh Share um, sci-fi, 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 sci-f
sci-fi um, network uh, was organizing to fundraise money to have low-income girls be able to go see the movie together in the theater. And um, I, it's interesting, like, I, you know, like Kedra and I really track examples of people in the fan communities organizing for a cause collectively. And, and um, that was definitely a very organic moment of activism coming around the movie. But, you know, the ACLU sent a thing to their, I'm sorry, it wasn't in an email blast, but there was a post on the ACLU's website about how important watching the movie was because of how women are discriminated against in Hollywood. So Yeah, and they did a really, really good job of kind of explaining why it was important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there was another, I, and I can't remember the name of the organization, but it was like a, another women in film organization that also did a, when people see a movie, like, oh, why that was important. So there's a lot of, like, little things going on from different groups and organizations and individuals that were really trying to get the word out about about why this particular weekend was so crucial. So crucial. Yeah. Yeah. And the other side is I definitely know a lot of people in my network who won't watch the movie because Gal Gadot was in the ID, was in the Israeli army and, um, and I'm I'm definitely not going to tell somebody that they need to watch the movie, in spite of that. I mean, the thing is, like, there isn't right. an, nobody nobody has called a boycott of the movie, so I don't feel like I'm doing anything wrong by enjoying and supporting the movie. But I'm also not going to tell somebody that they have to go watch it, or else they're a bad feminist. If when their like concern is you know about like her having said stuff, which is if you ask me, messed up stuff um, about the uh, Palestine-Israel conflict. So, but, you know, we have actors who say stuff that's problematic all the time. Um, So, yeah. Um, But I didn't want to not acknowledge that. I, I definitely think that there's been a real range of responses from different people. And I, I, you know, there was a really cool post that um, that someone I know did on talking about uh, how the movie would have been better had there been a female black woman screenwriter, and like made a really great case for it. And then literally, oh yeah, I did yeah. that. And then literally, like moments later, people were like attacking him. Women were attacking him and mm-hmm. for not supporting the movie enough. And that's just so disappointing to have people use it as a cudgel to attack people who are actually just asking for the movie to be better, you know? Yeah, that's, I mean, something can be good and still need improvement, you know, and right. we should be open to to that critical thought and such, you know, because, yeah, I, I liked Wonder Woman. I think it's done good things. I'm really glad that it's broken all these records and such, and it's hopefully opening up more opportunities, but it doesn't mean that there's no room for improvement, that there were no spots that it could have been better you know, that it can push forward, you know, as, as a concept and as a franchise. So, and like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's that whole fandom thing where like, you're really, really protective over what you love, but you have to realize like what you love is never going to be perfect, you know? So you, you do have to be open to like these critical things because, you know, it's just, things could always be better and we should always just strive to make our media more, you know, inclusive and as, as the best as we can make it. 
so it's important to have those diet like have that dialogue like um and bring up the ableism you know aspect that you were talking about earlier Kedra like I, I I'm privileged in that area so I didn't even think about that but that's a great point and that's a great thing to discuss you know and we need those types of discussions so that people can be more educated and that we can learn to be more empathetic you know to those groups that you know we're not a part of so yeah shutting down those conversations is just like that's not doing any good Mm-mm. so yeah I'm, I'm not for that at all like yeah I like the movie but I'm not going to be like, you know, oh, yeah, no, you can't criticize it. Because there are things yeah. in the film that can be criticized, you know, as, as far as, you know, these topics go. So, yeah. So I, have two, <laughs> I have two uh, big questions that I'm going to ask you guys now. I'm going to start with one. I'm going to let you know what they both are. We're going to do one and the other. So one is just give you a minute to think about it. Like, do we have recommended fan casting for who we want to see in the next movie, especially the women of color who the movie needs to have. Uh, but before that, I think Desiree, you probably have some suggestions for Wonder Woman comics for folks to read. I have a strong suspicion. Um, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, I really, really recommend GLA League of One. It's not a, like a specific one. Well, it's about Wonder Woman, but it's not from like one of her runs. But it's one of my favorite stories with her. The art is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but it's by Christopher Moeller. Um, and you can buy it in trade, but it's just called GLA, a legal one. If anybody has ever been on, like, Tumblr or something, you know that scene where, like, Wonder Woman's with Superman and she's like, hey, look in the distance, and then she kicks him in the face? That's from this book. <laughs> like, you, you want to see the full context. She literally takes on, she takes a rock with Batman's name on it and she, like, knocks him out with it. It's glorious, you know. But it actually it has a great, great story. It's not just about her taking out the league or anything like that. Um, you know, and the art is positively beautiful. And I love the lettering. The lettering was great. Um, and it's, it's a great mythologic, like, mythology. I can't speak tonight. It's got a great mythology to it that really emphasizes, like, you know, Diana and such. So I, I love this one. Um, let me think. George Perez's run is also available yeah. in a volume. Um, I love that. You know, if you like the older classic stuff, I think that's great. Um, obviously, Greg Rucka's run, too. You know, that's another great one. Uh, that's also available in a volume. I actually just finished reading that today. Um, Gail Simeone's run is another one people really like. Um, you see, oh, uh, Paul Dini and Alex Ross wrote a story for called a spirit of truth. And that's one of my all time favorite stories for her. Um, I mean, it's Alex Ross. So, you know, the artwork is going to be absolutely drop dead gorgeous. Um, and Paul Dini's writing is just so deep and, you know, it reads more like a novel than it does like a traditional comic, which I actually really liked. So, you know, there, there's actually no word bubbles at all in the entire book. Hmm. Uh, comic. I think you can buy it like her story in a singular trade, in a singular graphic novel. Um, if not, there's one where it's just called The World's Greatest Superheroes, and it has uh, one of the best stories for Superman I've ever read, um, a great Batman story, a story for Shazam, and a story for the Justice League, and then it includes uh, Wonder Woman's story, too. So that's another one that like I have a really high up there. Um, 
And then uh, the rebirth going on right now has been fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really like the rebirth run. Um, Nicola and Liam. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Their their artwork has been great. I've loved it. Um, you know, that's been really fantastic. Uh, I really like the not the first volume of Trinity, but the rest of the Trinity books, not the current rebirth ones. Those those are good too. Um, that image that's now kind of like become a little infamous where Diana's carrying Bruce and uh, Clark on her back. Like, I got this. That's from the Trinity run, if anybody wants to read that. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Trinity. I love their dynamic. Um, but I, I also love the original Trinity run, which, oh, gosh, um, trying to see if I can find it on my messy, messy shelves. Um, I'm in the process of moving, so <laughs> everything's a little dis- disorganized at the moment. So I just tweeted out the link for the JLA, Justice League of America, League of One, and then Trinity just like for noobs is like, you know, Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman as a team together, basically. And I just, I really found the art um, in particular on the Wonder Woman, Earth, uh, the new Wonder Woman stories to just really just grab me. Um, and I thought that, uh, I know that DC Comics bombshells storylines features like a ton of LGBTQ characters specifically everybody's basically everybody's a queer woman in the entire DC bombshells um, like it's like a side series that's not taking place in the main DC universe so you don't have to read other comics to understand it and I've kind of wondered yeah, it's, that might be a good thing for new for new readers yeah if you want something that's totally Elseworld um, you know, that has nothing to do with the actual, like the main continuity or anything. Bombshells is a great series because it's, it's all Elseworld stuff. Uh, I have the first two trades. I think there are three trades out. Um, you know, if you like Diana and Mira together, you know, they have, they had like a, a relationship for a little bit. And then, you know, Diana like has a thing with Steve and then, you know, like got, yeah, just like every, everybody is pretty much a queer woman. It's, it's pretty like amazing. Um, yeah, so I, I do like that series. That's another just really fun series to read for Diana. Um, there's also a trade out right now and it's like Wonder Woman's Greatest Battles. Um, that one is just kind of like a collection of various stories from her all collected into like one trade. So, you know, people are looking to just kind of get a taste of a little bit of everything that way they can kind of look deeper into, you know, what runs they'd like to better research. That's a good one to pick up. Um, and there's, there's cool. probably like a ton. Oh, oh, Wonder Woman 77. If you're a fran- fan of the Linda Carter original TV show, there's the first trade for that book is out right now. So that's also like a good one to pick up if you're a fan of like that original uh, television show. Cool. Thank you. This is actually super educational for me, so thank you. <laughs> I, no, seriously, because I'm I'm not a, a, a reader of the comics. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. So thank you. Well, and I would just repeat <laughs> for those listening to the show who like yeah. aren't big comics geeks, like you heard it here in one of the Wonder Woman series. Wonder Woman's childhood girlfriend is Mira, aka Aqua Woman. Wonder Woman and Aquawoman were each other's first kiss. So if that isn't motivating, I don't know what to tell you. Um, and, <laughs> and then this, and then um, I just wanted if people had some thoughts about fan casting. I, uh, uh, Jermaine, um, AKA Jermaine Design had tweeted, 
Rutina Wesley for Nubia. And I that was going to be my choice. She's oh. a baby. She's ripped. Like, she ripped. like in Queen Sugar, she's ripped. I'm like, why are you still ripped? You're just a normal person. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like, she's ripped like she's about to kick someone's ass, and she's a journalist. I don't get it. So, like, mm-hmm. she would be so great. I want her. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love, can I just say I love all of his fan cast? Like, they're, they're just, like, all, like, on point and, like, fantastic. Like, like I, I can't fan cast. I'm not good at it. You know, people are like, oh, who, who do you want as, like, Starfire? I'm like, I don't know. An Afro-Latina actress would be really cool. Like, do you have names? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not good at it at all. Um, so, yeah, like, whatever he comes up with is usually really great. Um, you know, just, like, it makes me happy that the casting has, like, you know, gone pretty diverse. They've taken, like, I don't, I don't want to say risks, but they've, they've gone out of the box you know, with a lot of the castings for, like, you know, the Amazons and some of their other characters in the DCEU, they're not standing, like, strictly with, you know, the Woody canon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just, you know, I want more Amazons. I want more, like, Artemis. I want more Philippus. I want more, you know, Nubius. Like, you know, because there was a great thread on the things that they could do. She has untapped potential. You know, you could do a lot with her. Um you know, and there's there's still so much great potential to Diana's like you know Semscara and the Amazons and such. So, but yeah, I I can't do fan cast. I'm like that person with the face and the hair. I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at it. Well, I'm really today. I announced I'm very firmly behind uh, Harry Neff from. Um, from Transparent is that she should be Donna Troy. Now I know that there probably will never be anything with Donna Troy in it because Donna Troy is, is confusing. But um, I was literally looking at Nicola Scott's art on Wonder Woman and some like fashion magazine pictures of Harry Neff came up and I was just like, they have the same eyes, dear Lord. <laughs> um, and I just, I just thought that she had such, like a sensitivity and soulfulness in her look. And she looks enough like Gal Gadot as well. Um, and it would be really awesome to have a trans woman playing uh, one of the Amazons, especially Wonder Woman's sister from another plane of complicated origin stories. But I'm like really strongly about this, even though I know that nobody will even do anything with Donna Troy. I just, she looks so much like her. It's crazy. <laughs> Kedra, did you have any fan casting thoughts there? No, the Rutina the Rutina Wesley was the one that I saw, and I was like, hell yeah! So I, I yeah. Just came with me. <laughs> <laughs> it was so great to see so many. And I'm songs. and I'm kind of like uh, about Nubia in general as a concept, as a character, but I if it's Rutina Wesley. She needs to be in more things anyway. She's, mm-hmm. she's uh, She was underutilized in True Blood. She's doing well in Queen Sugar, but she's meant to kick some ass. So I would yeah. like to see it. <laughs> I know she's too ripped to not be in action movies. She she looks like a superhero exactly. already. Like put her in <laughs> something. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> her arms are amazing. I just, I love having so many, I, I don't want to just have so many visibly physically strong female bodies on screen is really unprecedented. Like I, I don't want to like body shame anybody, but like I frequently like look at action movies where their women are not as 
Like I have smaller arms than me and I don't work out nearly enough. And it's like, <laughs> you are so scared that you might not give one man an erection that you can't actually show women with muscle. Like that's pretty pathetic. Um, and this movie was just like, we're going to have a range of body types. Now I don't think they had any plus size women in the Amazons and that is a mistake, yeah. but they had a range of different kinds of female strong bodies. Um, and just seeing all that was like super hot and very necessary and something that I just haven't even seen other movies that purport to be feminists do. So, well, thank you guys for joining us. Um, I uh, just want to make sure you have an opportunity to tell folks and our listeners where they can find you online. Um, Desiree, where, where are you on the internet so folks can say how awesome you are? <laughs> um, you actually, if you, Go to my website, latinasmediamusings.com. Um, I'm always there, you know, any kind of updates. Um, you know, or, or I try to keep my site as updated as possible um, with things that I'm doing. Or you can follow me at uh, Boricua Desiree, you know, on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, I hopefully have some new articles that are going to be up soon. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's where, you, that's where y'all can find me. And what about you, Kedra? Um, you can find me personally at uh, at KBC on Twitter, and then for the Leonard Fangirl, uh, we're at at PLF Blog, um, and then we're also on Tumblr at LearningFangirl.tumblr.com, um, mm-hmm. and at TheLearningFangirl.com, which is where you can read all the articles that we publish. And you and I are doing that tweet chat on the twenty first yes. at hashtag Pop Politics Chat. And, of course, folks can find me, as ever, always on Twitter at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And that new piece that I wrote about um, bisexual representation and the bi-erasure that goes on even in our own minds as bisexual people is up on um, the comics beat right now. I will pin it to the top. It is pinned to the top of my Twitter profile right now so you can see the article. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, again, E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. So thank you for joining us. Now, if you came into the show late, don't worry. This podcast is going to be downloadable from iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So you'll be able to listen to it from the beginning. Um, you'll be able to share it with your friends and give it another listen. Save it to your phone. And we will be back again next week with another episode for you. Remember, it's Graphic Policy at iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher. And our website is graphicpolicy.com, which is our blog about comics and geek culture, new content, new stories, new news every day. And we'll see you next week. Keep it geeky.